Welcome to iRun Radio. Coming up, an author explores what it takes to go faster. You got to get your body comfortable with being uncomfortable and sort of being on that edge and that threshold of exhaustion because as you get your body comfortable with it, you can push it out a little bit further each day. So that was a real breakthrough at the time, as was his idea that even though this is an individual sport, you're so much better if you train on a team. Outrunning grief. I could run beyond my fears, and uh, that's how I manage my anxiety. And, you know, I would go out for two or three hours at a time. Where I live in New Mexico, it's high mountains um, and remote. So, uh, in a way, it didn't make sense that I would want to go run alone in the mountains for hours because I was so afraid of dying. But when I was out there, I felt free from my anxiety, and, and that was the impetus to keep going. And why do people run ultra marathons? Mentally, I felt like I carried this strength around with me, and and that's enticing. And and I think the people who who do lots of ultra marathons, they kind of get addicted to that feeling of getting into a place where where it's so extreme that you get this this real kind of life changing experience uh, occurring, and to have that happen occurring again and again is, is is quite addictive, and it's quite interesting. A lot of people who who do ultra marathons. They, they come from quite troubled backgrounds. You do get a lot of former drug addicts and, and alcoholics and people who've had traumatic pasts. And, and there's something about getting through difficulty and getting through trauma that, that comes out in, a marath- in an ultramarathon particularly. Uh, and people find a lot of solace in it. On this edition of I Run Radio, interviews with three outstanding authors. Matt Futterman of the New York Times, who has a new book about running faster. Katie Arnold, who wrote a memoir about how running helped her with grief. And Adarin Ann Finn, whose book is about why we run ultra marathons, or why some of us do, anyway. Let's get things started now with the editor and general manager of I Run, Ben Kaplan. Hello, Ben. Hey there. How are things? Oh, exciting, exciting times. Yeah, the latest issue of the magazine is out, of course. I know you're excited about that. Oh, it's always just, you know, each one of these things and the, the team teases me because each time I'm like, you know, this this is our best one. What am I going to You know, <laughs> it, it feels that way. You put so much into these things and uh, it's just, it's exciting and, uh, you know, I hope people like, but we certainly love doing it. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a treat to be able to, to make these um, yeah. yeah, and it's all about telling the stories of runners, and that's what we do on the radio show and podcast. That's what we do in the magazine, and there's just no shortage of stories to tell, right? It, it just I feel like I keep meeting people. You know, just this week I was at a football game here in Ottawa, and I'm walking out of the football game, and I pass by these guys who have just finished a run at the running room in, in Ottawa okay. that's, near, yeah. that's near TD Place. And uh, started chatting with them. How did the run go? Oh, I'm training for my first marathon. I'm I'm running at Petit Train du Nord in October. You know, I've done half marathons before. I'm a little nervous about the longer distances. And, you know, there's just so many great stories of runners who are testing their limits and taking it to the next level or running to raise money for something. And uh, it, we, you just don't run out of those stories, right? It's a fun thing, and I love just the sort of the metaphor thing. I mean, you know, very rarely, I love that you say, you know, that we're telling the stories, because very rarely it's, you know, because if you want to say, like, how to run a faster 5K or a training program for a half marathon, like, 
that sort of information is sort of like evergreen and kind yeah. of exists. You know, it's very hard to consistently put that out because, you know, once it's out there, you sort of get it. And, you know, there's other places for that, frankly. But that notion of like the human struggle and the running thing is so great because it's like this thing that like, you know, they finish their run, you see them at the game, they're excited, the group is still together, you know, you identified them as runners and they identified you and it's, you know, they're excited and we get to sort of like, it's, I forget how you worded it, but it's, you know, it's some of it is people at their best, um, you know, yeah. and they're happy and they're, they're going through this thing and it's, it's attainable and it's community and you're feeling great and uh, yeah, it's, just, it's, a, it's a real treat to do. And I know you really enjoy engaging with the community of runners across Canada, and and um, and with each issue of the magazine, there's a new opportunity to do that around some theme or question. You know, you're always inviting people to share their stories, to share their photos, to join the conversation on social media, right? Yeah, well, we have a fun way of doing it, and uh, this was actually, so the Olympian Krista Duchesne, who is a famous runner, and she uh, she did the Olympics, and she's got three kids, and last year, or I guess it's two years ago now, she finished third place in the Boston Marathon. Anyway, she's a columnist of ours, and she's just an all-star human being and a phenomenal runner, but she had this idea that she put all of her marathons in the new issue, and she gave them emojis. So she sort of <laughs> did her life in review through emojis, and it's such a fun. Ex- I haven't done it yet, but I keep like meaning to. I have. I mean, I want you to do it too. Everybody listening to this, I just I don't know who that doesn't sound like a fun exercise to do. Like first of all, just to write down all your marathons, yeah, and then to to sort of emoji them out in your times. She does it with her times, the date. And her sort of like where she was in her life and, you know, this one she ran when she was pregnant. So there's like the pregnant emoticon and like this one, she was hot. So she's got the sponge emoticon. It's a fun thing to do. And it's, it's a perfect kind of thing that like anyone can do that. And everybody's going to have a story. Everybody's got a little emoticon next to one of their races. And it doesn't have to be a marathon. You know, she chose the marathon, but whatever it is, it's a fun way to put your, uh, autobiography down. Yeah, very cool. I do have a list of all my marathons and all my half marathons. I write them down every time I complete one, add it to the list. And it's funny because sometimes when I'm running, I'll just sort of recite them in my head. You know, I'll try to remember them all and think of the experience of each one of them just to just to fill the time and to keep me moving forwards. But I've never put emojis next to them. So maybe that's the next step. That's fun. Hey, that's fun. And by the way, we should tell, encourage everybody to read your story, too. I like that the host of the podcast runs, uh, the radio show, <laughs> runs without listening to the podcast or radio shows. Yeah. It's, it's God, God, God bless. We've got the road scholar. You know, he's out there thinking, just like you say, you're running. It's funny to think what goes through your head, uh, you know, three hours by yourself, no yeah. music, no nothing. You're just sort of, you know, you think about other races, you think about different things. It's a great column, by the way. We appreciate it. It very much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's all about running without the AirPods or the earbuds, right? So uh, I know everybody's different. I just I just prefer to to have that quiet time with my run. Um, and my thing is funny. I go I go you know sometimes with sometimes without. Yeah, yeah. I, you know I like it both ways. Right on, Ben. Thank you. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a great week. Appreciate it, my friend. Ben Kaplan, I runs editor and general manager. Coming up next, author Matt Futterman of the New York Times. Travel to Edmonton this August to run the Friendly Marathon. Why? The Service Edmonton Marathon Race Weekend has events for the whole family. A Boston Qualifier Marathon, 
half marathon, Army 10K, 5K, and ABC Kids event. This event takes pride in being more personal, more genuine, more fun. Be in Edmonton August 17th and 18th and enjoy running in great temperatures, soak in the River Valley views, and the amazing energy as you race through downtown towards the finish line. Register at edmontonmarathon.ca. Matt Futterman is a runner and also the deputy sports editor of the New York Times. He's just released a new book called Running to the Edge, A Band of Misfits and the Guru Who Unlocked the Secrets of Speed. Matt Futterman, it's great to welcome you to I Run Radio. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. You write about how you had a bit of an epiphany with regard to uh, the book that we're going to talk about in a moment, Running to the Edge. Uh, you you were running, actually, in Italy, and you, you were struggling with with uh, how to approach the book, and something came to you. Tell us that story. Well, I, I was uh, on vacation in Italy, and I was waking up earlier than the rest of my family, and I would go running um, we, we had rented an apartment that was about two blocks from the Tiber River, and I would I had figured out this route where I just run along the river um, until I got to the Olympic Stadium, which amazingly the 1960 Olympic Stadium from Rome is just an open track at this point. Uh, you can go there and and just sort of run in the footsteps of your heroes, and uh, so I would do that in the morning. It was probably about three miles to the stadium, and then I'd run a little bit in the stadium and then run back. And um, I was reading Frank Shorter's memoir at the time, uh, trying to figure out what this, just, just sort of immersing myself in running books. I took something I, I regularly do anyway. Um, and I think the epiphany I got was what, what the story of Bob Larson and the, his, his club, the Hummel Toads, which were these hippie runners uh, from the 1960s and 70s that served as his lab rats as he figured out. Uh, the formula to make people run really, really far, really, really fast. Uh, and, and it was really sort of got, it, I had this idea that, you know, this was really a book about why we run um, and what makes us want to run and what we're doing out there. And that became sort of the first question I started asking the the, the, the members of the Humboldt Toads and I asked Bob about it. Um, that was sort of where every interview started, which was, why do you run? What makes you run? What were you, what did you what do you feel like when you're running? What were you seeking? Where were you running to? What were you running from? All those sorts of uh, kind of meditative questions that sort of brought the book a, a little bit beyond uh, the basic sort of sports story, which was about this team of runners that came out of nowhere to win the 1976 uh, U.S. Cross Country National Championships back when that was basically the biggest race in the country other than the Boston Marathon. So what did you learn from that? Uh, why do we run? Uh, because uh, it's it's not always convenient, it's not always easy, it's not always fun, and yet we push ourselves, and, and many of us keep trying to run faster. So what is it that motivates us to do that? I think it's a different reason for different people. I mean, some people want some people do it because they want to be skinny. Um, I do it somewhat because I play this little game with myself, which is uh, if I if I can keep lowering or coming close to lowering my 
my marathon PR, then maybe that means I'm not actually getting older. Um, so, uh, so that's a, I yeah, hate to break I, I it to you, but you know, it is still happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, it is still happening. Unfortunately, I'm a day older today than I am yesterday, but you know, at the same time, I, I'm coming to accept that aging is a privilege. Um, so, uh, there's a lot of different reasons. I and mean, what was, I got some fascinating answers from the care, the, the people who ended up being the characters in my book. Uh, one, you know, one of them was Ed Mendoza, who was uh, really small growing up and was a terrible stick and ball athlete. And he would get, he would always get humiliated. He said, because he would get picked after his little sister, uh, for games of, you know, baseball and football down at the park in his, in his neighborhood. And then he went to high school and there was a gym class and they had to run. And the gym teacher told him he was one of the fastest kids in the school and he should do track and field. And he said, what's track and field? Cause he didn't know what it was. And they explained it to him. And when he started showing up at practices and he started beating guys who were several years older than he was, who were on the team, he finally felt like his little body had a purpose. Uh, he had never felt that way before. He felt like he had been sort of granted, um, you know, not much, something that wasn't of much use. And here he sort of felt like he had something and he, it, it gave meaning to him. Um, so you find stories like that. You find stories about uh, other characters who, you know, ran because they needed to lower their um, need to lower their their time in a two mile to below nine minutes, because so they could get a scholarship to college because they their home situation was bad. His parents were fighting. That was Dale Fleet's story, and he just really needed to get out of his house, and he had no money. So he ran 800 miles one summer because he figured if he could run 800 miles in a summer, he'd be in good enough shape to run two miles under nine minutes and escape his home. So uh, there's a whole lot of different reasons that people run, and uh, I, I think those re reasons are most often very meaningful. It's rare that you that you ask a runner why they run, and they just say, I don't know, it's just something I do. <laughs> very true. Uh, so let's talk about Bob Larson, who is the coach of this band of mis misfits, as you describe them, the guru uh, who unlocks the secrets of speed, as you put it in the title of the book. Uh, who is he and what did he discover at this time that allowed him to produce such great results in his athletes? So I knew Bob for years um, just simply as Meb Kifleski's coach, and that being the perhaps the greatest American distance runner, um, certainly of his era, but maybe of any era, 2004 silver medalist in the Olympic marathon, 2009 marathon, New York champion, 2014 Boston champion. And so I had been talking to Bob about Meb for a couple of years. Uh, and then I, I saw this little documentary that Bob, that, that had one of Bob's former runners had made about him. And uh, there was a picture of these guys. The Hummel Toads was the name of the group, and they were these scraggly-looking hippie runners. Uh, they looked kind of like the Doobie Brothers for uh, people who could get that or old enough sure. to get that reference. But, you know, beards and long hair. And um, these were the guys that, that, that served as Larson's lab rats. Uh, and what he basically discovered was... Uh, a, a third way, because there were two schools of running back then, if to, to the extent that there were any schools, because this was this is the 1960s, and really nobody was running on their own. Um, you know, there was nothing more 
countercultural that you could do than go for a run on the roads. Uh, it just was so different than it is today. It was very sort of fringe activity. And but, but to the extent that there were two schools, there was the Lydiard School, Lydiard you know, being the New Zealand coach um, who sort of invented jogging. And but his idea was all about volume and train, don't strain. And um, then there was the Eastern Europeans. Uh, Emil Zatopek was their hero, and Zatopek used to do his fav- his famous. Uh, quarter mile intervals he'd do like 60 or 70 quarter mile intervals at 65 to 70 seconds each uh i mean it's just just these unbelievable workouts but the idea it spread and that and it worked for him he's the only guy to win the 5,000 the 10,000 and the marathon in the same olympics uh, but um the, the their philosophy was just you know interval after interval interval to really harden your heart and Bob's idea, Bob's two questions were: Why do the long runs have to be so slow, and why do the intervals have to be so short? So uh, he had his runners going out and you know warming up for a few miles, and then going hard for three miles, and then five miles, and then seven miles, and doing what we now everyone just refers to as tempo runs. Uh, but he was really the first one to push that idea, and he, the idea behind it was. Um, you, you got to get your body comfortable with being uncomfortable and sort of being on that edge and that threshold of exhaustion because as you get your body comfortable with it, you can push it out a little bit further each day. So that was a real breakthrough at the time, as was his idea that even though this is an, an individual sport, you, you're so much better if you train on a team and part of a group. The group is just far more powerful than the individual. And then the third thing that he pounded into runners' heads, uh, whether it was the Hummel Toads who didn't have a sponsor, who barely had any money and were a far cry from the fancy running clubs in New York and Philadelphia and Colorado and Oregon, is that where you're born, how you're born, what money you have, what sponsors you have, none of that is your destiny. That if you do the work and put in the time then you can be a little bit better tomorrow than you were yesterday. And that becomes really, really important in the 2000s when people think the East Africans are just superior human beings that were, who are bred to, to run long distances and that their muscle fibers are different or some other kind of you know, gobbledygook. And Larson says, no, they're just working really hard. They're working harder than we are, and they're doing it at elevation. And if we do that, we can win too. And uh, sure enough, he proved himself right. Yeah. And now so many long-distance athletes do train at elevation. And uh, so one of the things I find fascinating about the quest to go faster is, particularly for long-distance events like the marathon, when you uh, you, when you're only going to run a couple of events a year where you're trying your hardest and there are so many variables, it is difficult to figure out what works for you and what will make you go faster because uh, you can have a great result and attribute it to something, but it could be due to something else that you're not even aware of. And there are, as I said, so many variables. So, so what are the lessons that come out of all of this for everyday runners like you and me? I think, um, well, there's a few lessons. One is one is those three lessons about making yourself uncomfortable, comfortable with being uncomfortable and, you know, relying on teammates and being part of a group and that, you know, you make your own destiny. I mean, those are lessons that, 
yeah, they can help you with running, but they can. I think they can also pretty much help you with uh, with work and relationships and the whole rest of your life too. And I think that's really important. I think that's a huge benefit for running. But in terms of training plans and actual, really sort of tangible results for for running, the the three the few things that Larson. Um, as, you know, came upon and the formula that got Americans back to the table uh, and competing with, with the best in the world is is training that involves three things. And one is the long run. Uh, the other is the um, the tempo run. And the third is some speed work, a workout. Uh, you know, you've got to have, whether it's eight by eight by eight hundreds or one mile repeats or, you know, a 5k and then a month, then three mile repeats or something like that. You know, you have to do, if your training involves each of those three things and you can do them at whatever pace you want, you're just, this is, you know, whether you want to go from five hours to four and a half or four to three and a half, you know, you can do them at whatever pace you want. But if you have those three elements in your training program and a little bit of strength workout would probably go a long way to help you as well, uh, you can get faster. Well, that's encouraging for all of us. And uh, there are so many lessons arising out of this that uh, we haven't even touched on. But it's fascinating to get a glimpse into this, this incredible story that you've uncovered and shared in this new book. Uh, Matt Futterman, thank you so much for joining us, and good luck with the book. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. That's Matt Futterman, Deputy Sports Editor of the New York Times. His new book is called Running to the Edge. Coming up next, author Katie Arnold, whose new book is called Running Home. Travel to Edmonton this August to run the Friendly Marathon. Why? The Service Edmonton Marathon Race Weekend has events for the whole family. A Boston Qualifier Marathon, Half Marathon, Army 10K, 5K, and ABC Kids event. This event takes pride in being more personal, more genuine, more fun. Be in Edmonton August 17th and 18th and enjoy running in great temperatures, soak in the River Valley views, and the amazing energy as you race through downtown towards the finish line. Register at edmontonmarathon.ca. Welcome back to iRun Radio. iRun Radio is on the air every Sunday morning on 1310 News in Ottawa. And you can also listen to the podcast and check out past editions of the show at irun.ca. Just click on radio. Author Katie Arnold's new book is called Running Home. It's a memoir about grief and ultramarathons. Katie started taking on longer and longer distances after the loss of her father. Katie, thank you for joining us on I Run Radio. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. And unfortunately, the story that you tell in your your memoir is one that begins with the death of your father. And uh, and just tell me about what was going on at at that time, and and then we can talk about how running in many ways helped you recover from that and and start to to deal with it. Sure. Um, well, at the time, as I write about in Running Home, I, um, my father was diagnosed with kidney cancer, and, and this was in 2010, and I had just had um, given birth to my second daughter. Um, I had a toddler at home and a newborn, and my father's um, diagnosis came you know, as quite a shock. He was a healthy person in his early 70s, and... Um, 
So I began traveling back and forth from my home in Santa Fe to his farm in Virginia to spend time with him um, and to help out as I could. Um, But he was really dying pretty quickly, like as quickly as my baby was growing. My father was declining. And um, and so, you know, right away we realized we we didn't have much time. And um, that's kind of where the book begins, that um, just that grief that precedes a death, but you feel it coming and it's building and it's all mixed up with memories of childhood and, and the emotions that you have for your, for your loved one who's still alive, but you're starting to imagine the future without him. And the two of you were obviously very close and you shared a passion for being outside, didn't you? Yes, yes. So my father was a photographer for National Geographic uh, for his whole career. And so he was, um, he loved nature and traveling and being on assignment and sort of um, just being very present to his world and, and capturing those moments that photographers are so great at seeing when they're happening. And um, so he shared that, not only his love for the outdoors, um, with me and, you know, took us on many, um, trips, hiking and, and, uh, biking and river trips. Um, that was a huge gift to me, but he also, um, t- really taught me how to see and how to pay attention in life. And that, um, was so formative for me as a writer. And I, I've, I've been a writer since I was very young and I always knew I would be a writer. And so my, my father's medium was photographs and mine was words, but we shared, we had a real kinship about, you know, in the, as far as our creativity went. Now, when you lost your father, it, it sounds as though it, it wasn't just the grief of losing him. It was also uh, the fact that you were forced to con- confront your own mortality and, and that that set off kind of a, a bit of a chain reaction for you that, that included uh, throwing yourself into running. Is that, is that a fair way to describe it? Yes. Yes. I mean, I was, um, the, the grief was obviously a really big, big piece of it. Um, and as was, you know, becoming a new mother for the second time, and bringing a new life into the world, I think that really forces you to confront your mortality. And um, when those two things happen, you know, in quick succession, um, it's a, it was a very tumultuous time for me facing my own, the fact that, you know, my father was dying. And I think when you're young, you know, and, and that's what youth is, you, you can kind of get away thinking that death, doesn't happen, you know, won't happen to you or it happens to other people. But when you, you know, when you go through the illness of a loved one and you realize that it will happen and it's, you know, it happened to my father after he died, I realized that, you know, I would die too. But here I had this brand new baby and I couldn't die, you know, and I had to stay alive for my baby. And, um, and, and it was quite a bit probably of postpartum anxiety all wrapped up in the in the grief and the mortality kind of this existential crisis of realizing that I was mortal too and it was this mashup of emotions that um really you know manifested most profoundly in me as anxiety and um, I became afraid that I was dying too and and so any little symptom or strange physical sensation I had you know I immediately skipped over all the Possible, possible things and went right to, you know, I, I have a fatal illness. And that went on for about 18 months. 
and um, I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, so there's lots of alternative healers in, in New Mexico and Santa Fe in particular, and I'm a very open-minded person, and I've tried many of them. Uh, but the thing that works best in, in terms of helping me manage my anxiety was running and being, you know, running for a long period of time outside in, in the wilderness, so in nature. And you started running more and more, right? You you started doing ultra marathons yeah. and and incredible endurance yeah. tests, right? Yeah. So I'd always been a runner, and I started when I was a young girl, right around I don't think coincidentally the time that I realized I wanted to be a writer, because for me, running and writing have always been very linked. It's a very symbiotic um, relationship. Running is part of my creative process. So I'd always been a runner, but I didn't um, compete. It was just a, per- a private thing that I did. And it was actually my dad's idea um, that I do my first race. And I write about this in Running Home. And, you know, it was the 70s, and, and this was back before, you know, parents had these grand aspirations for our, for the kids and sort of, you know, threw them into competition. He just suggested that I run a 10K race kind of as a lark. And I took him up on it. And, I, I mean, I think I must have finished dead last that day. And it didn't matter. What mattered was that feeling I had of just satisfaction of having, you know, stuck with it and persevered. And um, so, you know, when after my father died, I, I returned to running. And like I said, I'd always been a runner. For me, running, I, I'm at my happiest as a runner when I'm in the mountains and on trails. So I'm not much of a road runner. Uh, but I felt drawn to the mountains and covering longer distances on my feet as a way to move beyond that anxiety that my that my mind was whipping up right and you know if, for many of your listeners I'm sure are runners that you find that state where you move past your thoughts right and you're into the rhythm of motion and it becomes kind of a moving a waking daydream or a moving meditation so that's what it, you know what running did for me I could I could run beyond my fears and uh, that's how I manage my anxiety. And, it, you know, I would go out for two or three hours at a time. Where I live in New Mexico, it's high mountains um, and remote. So uh, it, in a way, it didn't make sense that I would want to go run alone in the mountains for hours because I was so afraid of dying. But when I was out there, I felt free from my anxiety. And, and that was the impetus to keep going. So what did you get from that, and how did you get to the other side of your grief and anxiety? Well, I just did it literally step by step, right? And that's the beautiful thing of running. Um, I didn't know where I was going, and I never had this plan. You know, I, I didn't ever, it was never premeditated. Like, my father has died, and I'm going to start running long distances to heal myself, and then I'm going to write a book about it. You know, grief doesn't work that way. You're in very much the fog of it for a long time. And, and that's not dissimilar to the fog of having a new baby. You know, time moves differently in, in that period, you know, of grief or, or motherhood. And so I didn't see the way forward. I just put one foot in front of the other on a daily basis. And that was going out for a run. And, and it, it was, you know, at least 18 months before I signed up for my first ultra and um, even then, I didn't see the full trajectory in front of me. I just wanted to see what my body was capable of and what my mind was capable of. Um, and so I, I, it was a very organic process. And, and that's really who I am as an athlete. You know, I don't, um, 
I'm, I'm very low data, and I don't do Strava, and I, you know, I I only keep a loose idea of my weekly miles. So it was very, it was coming from the inside of me as this intuitive feeling, this instinct really that running would heal me, and it and it did. And looking back on that now, uh, what do you feel you learned from from testing your limits in that way and at that time? I think the biggest thing I learned is listen to that to that intuitive voice inside. Listen to your instincts, even if it doesn't make sense. Again, on the surface, it really didn't make sense that I would want to go out alone in, in quite remote environments. Um, but it, it, the voice inside was saying, "This is what feels good. This, you know, do this." And and so I really learned to listen. And I think many of us become disconnected from our intuitive voice, our intuition, because our culture, you know, will be just assaulted with information on our screens and deadlines and, and, you know, everything is so very goal oriented. And so when you tune into that voice inside, it's not about getting to the finish line. It's not about getting there, right? There is no there there. The only there is right in front of you, this step and then the next. And so it did become this mindfulness practice. Um, where and I think that served me best as a runner and as a an elite athlete. You know, I've gone on to become very successful at long distances. Um, I won the Leadville 100 last year, and that training was. It was. It, I never looked ahead and said I'm going to win Leadville. Right. I just made the best effort I could every day in my training, and. Um, it led me to incredible places that I probably couldn't have imagined if, you know, if I tried. And so, you know, listening to that instinct and also just letting the process be the most valuable, you know, teacher there rather than just focusing on the result you want. I think if you only focus on the result, you miss a lot of, you know, beautiful things and, the, and some of the magic along the way, you know, if you're just driving toward that one goal. Well, it's a very powerful story, and uh, we've only told just a little bit of it. Uh, uh, Katie, yeah. I, I really appreciate you joining us today, and uh, and uh, I'm I'm amazed at what you've been able to do as a runner and, and how you've been able to, to share that story. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. That's author Katie Arnold. Her new book is called Running Home. Coming up next, the author of a new book about why people run ultra marathons. Travel to Edmonton this August to run the Friendly Marathon. Why? The Service Edmonton Marathon Race Weekend has events for the whole family. A Boston Qualifier Marathon, Half Marathon, Army 10K, 5K, and ABC Kids event. This event takes pride in being more personal, more genuine, more fun. Be in Edmonton August 17th and 18th and enjoy running in great temperatures, soak in the River Valley views, and the amazing energy as you race through downtown towards the finish line. Register at edmontonmarathon.ca. Why do people go the extra distance of an ultra-marathon? What makes some of us test our limits in grueling races of 50 kilometers, 100 kilometers, or even longer? That's the subject of the latest book by the author Adaranand Finn. It's called The Rise of the Ultra Runners, A Journey to the Edge of Human Endurance. Darren Ann Finn, welcome to I Run Radio. Uh, it's good to be here. Thank you. So you sought out to discover why it is that people run ultra marathons, and is is part of it just the fact that uh, there are so many people running marathons that it it's not 
it's not singularly impressive anymore to run 42 kilometers. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is a definite uh, natural inflation going on. I mean, uh, you have to feel sorry. We've just had the London Marathon in England. You have to feel sorry the number of people looking for, for sponsorship for their, their charity. Uh, and everybody's like, oh, another marathon. And, and I know from experience, I, I, I had a quite a funny moment in, in the office where I work. Some guy came up to me, and he knew I ran a lot. In fact, he'd heard this guy runs a lot. So he said, oh, you run ultramarathons, don't you? And this was before I was doing ultramarathons. So I said, no, no, I don't. I don't run ultramarathons. He said, oh, what, triathlons? I was like, no, no. He said, what, just marathons? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I realized we got to that point where marathons were no longer impressing people. And, uh, and yeah, to really stand out, to really kind of get people's jaws dropping, as, as they used to when you, you, know, you said you'd signed up for a marathon maybe 10, 20 years ago. Uh, you, you now have to kind of have this overbone prefix uh, ultra at the beginning. I mean, that, that gives it the, the epic uh, status required. And, uh, and, and in some ways, that you, you know, some, you might say that's a shame. And, and there are a lot of running purists. And I was one of these when I started out on the journey. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of track running. I like mile, mile races. And you think, well, it's, it's a shame that people are more impressed with the, with the longer distances. But what happens in an ultra run is it becomes something else. It becomes more than running. It becomes a kind of life experience and, and, and a, a kind of more profound challenge to your whole personality rather than just your running skills or your running ability. And a marathon gets close to that. A marathon is definitely on a crossover between just running and, and kind of determination and guts and, and perseverance and commitment. But, but to take it that side to another level and kind of leave the running behind a bit and just get into the the real struggle of what, what's out there and what you're capable of. Uh, I think ultra running is quite irresistible, particularly for a certain type of person who uh, likes to really challenge themselves and really test themselves. Yeah, I think that's a great point because uh, we're, when we set out to do marathons or ultra marathons or even just run our first 5K, what we're doing, in, it is in part, I'm sure, driven by being able to say to other people, hey, look what I did. But it is, it's also about saying that to ourselves in a way, isn't it? To say, I was somebody who couldn't do this before, and now I've, I've done it, and I've tested my limits. That's, that's what I think draws a lot of people to it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's something quite enticing about a challenge that is so big that you kind of get this feeling. You don't know what's going to happen out there, but you get this feeling that you're going to be a different person on the other side if you, if you can come through it. And that definitely happened to me. I, I, I was... I kind of felt after my first ultramarathon, I felt like something had changed in me. I just felt a little bit more resilient in, in, in everything, in my body physically, but also mentally. I felt like I carried this strength around with me. And and that's enticing. And and I think the people who, who do lots of ultramarathons, they kind of get addicted to that feeling of of kind of looking, get, getting into a place where where it's so extreme that you get this, is real kind of life-changing experience uh, occurring, and to have that happen occurring again and again is, is is quite addictive, and it's quite interesting. A lot of people who who do ultramarathons, they they come from quite troubled backgrounds. You do get a lot of former drug addicts and and alcoholics and people who've had traumatic pasts, and and there's something about getting through difficulty and getting through trauma that that comes out in a marathon, in an ultramarathon particularly. Uh, and people find a lot of solace in it, uh, which is interesting as well. What were your own experiences as you went from, as your coworker described it, just marathons to ultra marathons? Yeah, well, I, I was quite humbled in a way because I, I'm I'm a fairly uh, 
decent marathon runner. I've, I've done two hours, 50 minutes. And, and I, when I run local races, I'm used to being quite near the front. Uh, and I struggled a lot more in these ultramarathons than I was expecting. I was much further mid-pack to, to near the back of the pack in some of the races. And so that was quite humbling. Uh, and also... It's, you started to wonder why why this was happening to you, and I, you learn all sorts of things. Like one thing I learned is just I'm actually quite an emotional person. <laughs> so when things were going well, things were going really well. So I'd be flying along on the trails, like kind of almost euphoric at times, and then there'd be other times where where the down would come, and I'd really attach onto it, and I'd, I'd start going deep down into this well well, the the seasoned ultra runners call it the pain cave i'd get sucked down into the pain cave and where where i found other people were much more level they just kind of rode the highs and the lows on a much more kind of steady emotional state and that was interesting because i wasn't expecting to find that out uh but but you know I, i managed in in the majority of cases to uh to get myself going so I wouldn't say I, I passed the test with flying colours, but it was uh, it was it was it was an it was an interesting experience in so many ways. I mean, we only have a short interview. I mean, a lot of my book goes into the lessons about myself that I learned and the experiences, the kind of almost spiritual experiences at times that you uh, that can can happen to you out there. Can you give me a couple of examples uh, of what you went through? Yeah, well, I mean, some of the races went much went on much longer than I was expecting. So there was one race, 100 miles in the Pyrenees in the south of France, where I was expecting mid-afternoon to be uh, on the beach because uh, the race finished on the beach, uh, you know, hanging out in the ways. And come sunset, 9 o'clock that night, I was still up in the mountains somewhere a long way from the beach. So I was going into a second night, which I wasn't mentally and physically prepared for. And, and I didn't actually finish till three in the morning that morning. So in that in that night, all sorts of all sorts of strange things. I mean, I was hallucinating. At one point, I thought I could see this. There was this cocktail party, this house with this cocktail party on the veranda, and I was wandering over. And, and then I realised it was a sheer drop uh, into into the abyss uh, at night. Uh, and and that that was a scary experience. And then I and then I latched onto these other runners coming by. Because I thought the, my only way of getting off this mountain safely is is to just follow someone really closely. And then these these two were going down way quicker than I was. I wasn't so good at descending at that point. And so I was having to run outside of my comfort zone this far into a race in uh, with incredibly tired legs. But but I felt it was a life and death a life and death uh, a moment. I mean, I had to I had to stick with them to save myself so i did and, and a really strange thing happened all the pain lifted out my leg i started moving as i think i feel like it's almost the closest i've ever been to that experience of flow that that people talk about in running where you get to the point where everything is just functioning at its absolute maximum and to get that at that stage in the race now i remember it was quite cold on the mountain and i even got to the point where i started feeling warm i had this warm glow of of kind of my whole body was moving in, 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 as it was designed to after, at this point, like 35, 36 hours of, of trudging through the mountains, running when I could. Uh, and that, that was an amazing experience. And then what happened after wow. that is I, I, from that day forth, I was like a 20 times better at descending mountains. It, it never left me, the ability to go down a mountain quite quickly after that night. So that's just one, one moment where yeah. something quite almost out of body uh, happened. And what do you think the the difference is between an ultra marathon and a marathon that that provides that 
that greater test or or that that journey that's taking you closer to the edge uh, than than a than say an organized race like the London Marathon last week? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways one is a test of of your running your running abilities because when you get to that point where you're really struggling in a marathon, you've maybe got you know ten miles eight miles to go and, and and that's tough and that's difficult but that's that's physically tough to keep and to try and maintain a pace but mentally it's not that long to hang on but what kills you in ultra running is the fact that you get to that point of exhaustion and you may still have 50 miles to go or you may still have you know some some huge distance and mentally that's much more challenging i think because physically you're going at a slower pace and and in some ways I'd say the physical challenge of running a fast marathon and, and, and passing a, a finishing an ultra, are, you know, are comparable. But in terms of your mind to keep on top of your doubts and your despair and, and the demons in your in the back of your pain cave for that long, for often hours and hours and on end, is a, is a struggle. And, and the dropout rates in ultra marathons are really high. I mean, on average, you're looking at 40 or 50% of the people who start the race don't finish. And it's usually a mental problem. They just give up. They get to a point where they lose the will to continue. And that's the real challenge. Physically, often, I mean, sometimes people get injured and they have to stop. But often, physically, they're fine. They could carry on. I mean, they're tired, they're exhausted, but they're not broken. They could carry on. But the mind, it becomes a real mental challenge. Uh, and And I think that's the big difference. Fascinating stuff. and I, I, I know you get into a lot more detail in the book, The Rise of the Ultra Runners, A Journey into the Heart of the World's Toughest Sport. Darren Ann Finn, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That's author Darren Ann Finn. His new book is called The Rise of the Ultra Runners, A Journey to the Edge of Human Endurance. I hope you can join us next week on iRun Radio. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.